0: I did see a lot of young people in baggy t-shirts and sneakers and young girls in Chanel handbags and they look like people in their 20s roaming around the fair and Christie's auction preview
1: Hi I'm Andrew Goldstein and this is The Art Angle a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world bringing each week's biggest story down to earth It's a cliche to say that going to greater China is a bit like visiting the future, where technology is threaded into every aspect of daily life in ways that are both wondrous and scarily dystopian. But it's totally true. And it certainly was the case for collectors and dealers who went to Art Basel's revitalized art fair in Hong Kong last week. A little more than a year after the pandemic forced the cancellation of the 2020 edition, The fair was back in a cutting-edge new format that might sound like something out of science fiction. Here are three little words to give you the idea. Hologram art dealers. So what was it like inside the fair? And did all of the high-tech bells and whistles actually help anybody sell or buy art? To find out, Artnet News executive editor Julia Halperin spoke to our redutable Hong Kong correspondent Vivian Chow.
2: Thank you for coming on The Art Angle, Vivian. Well, thank you for having me, Julia. So tell me, where are you speaking to us from right now?
0: I'm in Hong Kong right now, the day after Art Basel wrapped up.
2: And how are you feeling after this whirlwind week? It's
0: been crazy. And I think there was a mix of excitement because we did not have art week like this last year because of the pandemic. I think people have been very excited and good spirit. And they're excited to see everyone at the fair. It's been an exhausting but joyful week, I would say.
2: Yeah, and you know, Hong Kong really was the epicenter of the global art market last week. First, you had Art Basel Hong Kong, which was the first Art Basel Fair since the pandemic started. So just to set the scene, how many times have you been to Art Basel Hong Kong before? Since the very beginning,
0: that was 2013 and previously Art HK before MCH acquired the fair. So Art HK was launched in 2008 and then it became Art Basel in 2013. So I've been experiencing the changes, the evolution of art fairs in Hong Kong for quite some time.
2: And I imagine that this one was not anything like the ones that you've experienced before. So to paint the picture, can you tell us when you entered the fair, did you see anything that made you think, okay, this one's going to be different?
0: I think the setup is quite different. Even though it's still the same location at the convention center, usually they let you through the corridor outside the exhibition hall. So you need a ticket or a pass to get into the exhibition hall to actually see the fair. But usually they have other booths, such as you know the nonprofit booths and books and stuff that are located in the corridor. Usually they let general public to just walk through that part of the convention center. But then this year, even that part has been blocked. I feel that the crowd control has been pretty tight this year. Well, obviously, due to the pandemic, we still have cases here and there, even though it's very well contained here in Hong Kong. Obviously, organizers take very stringent measures just in case, and that is totally understandable, and that keeps everyone feel comfortable and safe, because it's still an event where you see a lot of people congregating. So that's the first thing that I felt. And it's very much scaled down compared to the usual Art Basel. It only occupied one floor. Usually it occupies two floors. There would be like over 200 galleries showing. But then this time it only showed like half of the number of galleries. But it's still nicely put together at a
2: manageable size. I remember when I went for the first time in 2019 to Art Basel, Hong Kong, and the thing that struck me most was just the sheer size of it. It takes up over two floors over this massive convention center. And it's the size of like a big mall you went to as a kid, probably. And this year was different also because so many dealers couldn't come due to travel restrictions. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what those entailed and if you spoke to anyone who actually suffered through them to make it to the art fair in person.
0: They keep. Changing the travel restrictions these days. And I think now they divide according to where you come from areas of low risks, then you have a shorter quarantine period. And then people coming from places that are not on the low risk list, then you have to go through an up to a 21 day
2: quarantine. And that's like a hardcore quarantine, like in a hotel where you can't leave, right? Yep. Correct. Do you know or did you talk to any other dealers or collectors who did?
0: Um, not collectors. There's a gallery from Taiwan and they went through a 14-day hardcore quarantine in order to join the fair in person.
2: I can't imagine doing that also because I feel like being a dealer at an art fair requires you to be at your best in terms of social skills. And after 14 days in a hotel in isolation, I can't imagine that your skills are at their peak. I haven't gone through the quarantine experience, so
0: I wouldn't know what it entails or how it's gonna be like. But I would imagine that kind of total isolation would put you in a completely different space, but then suddenly you have to go back to the art fair and then you're being thrown into a completely opposite situation. And I think it would take some time to adjust. But it seemed that the people that I encountered from that Taiwan gallery, they seemed to be quite okay. Uh, in terms of interacting with people.
2: They are stronger than I, for sure. So this was a big test both for Art Basel because it was its first fair after the start of the pandemic and for the Hong Kong market. What were the stakes here? Why were the stakes so high?
0: There could be a number of factors. First is after 2020, when it was a year that had no physical art fair except Hong Kong Spotlight and Fine Art Asia. And then it seems that people have accustomed to a new way of looking at art and learning about art and buying art, all done virtually. And then I think that poses a big question of the value of art fairs. I think not just for Art Basel, but then for art fairs in general. Do we still need art fair? Do we still need to travel to, you know, the other side of the globe just to see a few artworks, is it still viable? I think 2020 poses a huge challenge to the business model. And I think the way people get to know about art and get to see art. So whether this addition of Art Basel in Hong Kong was the seed, it has to tell people that, okay, there's still value for art fairs and people still love to go to a fair and it should continue one way or the other or in a hybrid format this is a question that it tries to answer on one hand. And of course, having a fair in Hong Kong, I think that is also a critical moment. I mean, after everything that Hong Kong has been through since 2019, the protests and then the implementation of the national security law. So, Hong Kong has entered a different era. And how is that going to affect people's confidence in the city's market? Are people still trading? Are people still investing? Are people still, you know, buying art? I think these are also the burning questions that people are looking into and they want the answers. So not just Art Basel, but the entire Art Week, you know, Art Central also happening in the same building. And then also Christie's Spring Sale, which has just concluded the evening sale, So I think these are the things that people are looking into and these are the indicators for the future of Hong Kong's market and whether Hong Kong is still or will still be a viable art market for not just the city, but also for the world.
2: That's super interesting. I wanna get to both of these, but I'm going to start with the first point you made about the kind of hybrid model and this question of what do fairs look like in a post-pandemic era when we think about travel differently? One of the biggest gambits that Art Basel took was to launch what they call satellite booths and what I prefer to call ghost booths because I think it explains it better, which are booths rented out by dealers who weren't able to be at the fair in person. So to start, can you tell us what did these actually look like on the ground?
0: There are a few different setups. They just look like a normal gallery booth except that the staff of the gallery are not there in person. So some of them will have local help to man the booth and to interact with visitors and try to answer questions. But then if someone approaches the booth and try to, you know, inquire about the work with the intent to buy a work, then maybe that staff member may not be able to answer some of the questions, you know, directly. So what's interesting is that some of the galleries, they have an iPad standing on the booth table. And then sometimes you walk past and then you see the faces of the gallerist, on the iPad.
2: And that person might just, like, be at home in New York watching people walk by. Yes. I find that terrifying.
0: It is, and it just felt really surreal. A friend told me that he walked past one of the booths and then he heard his name being called out but then he didn't know that there was an iPad standing at the booth and then he turned his head around and couldn't see anyone and he thought he saw a ghost or something.
2: Ghost booth, I'm telling you.
0: (laughs) Well, the spirit of the galleries Some of the galleries, they have like heavyweight, experienced curators who somehow they're familiar with the gallery or they're friends with the galleries. If you have that kind of heavyweight help, that certainly boosts the presence and exposure of the gallery, you know, at the booth. And then there's a Beijing Gallery, Beijing Camus, and they have an artist to man the booth for a couple of days. And so that also gives a different flavor to the booth because even though the artist did not have any work in the showing at the booth, but then if you go there to visit the booth, you get to talk to an artist. I think it was an interesting experience.
2: One other type of ghost booth that you saw and wrote about was this version where dealers actually attended via hologram. And I have to tell you that to me, even more than the iPad, this sounds like an extremely dystopian vision. Uh, So did you see it for yourself? And how did it work? It was spooky, I have to say.
0: It reminds me of some of those dystopian, sci-fi, just felt like something straight from Blade Runner or Akira or Ghost in the Shell. It did not happen at the booth. It took place in a room outside the main fair in a separate area in kind of like a private location. You wouldn't know it existed if you were not being brought to that spot. They have a few sessions every day during the fair. And each time only eight people were brought to experience that hologram session. I went to one of those. It was quite an experience. It just felt like living in a cyberpunk drama. You have like these eight people sitting inside a dark room and then there's a screen, you know, in front of us. It just felt really strange. And then we were just talking among ourselves and then suddenly Emmy just emerged on the screen It felt like a mix of cyberpunk technology slash, you know, Harry Potter magic. (laughs) And she emerged a life-size figure. And it was, the projection was really crisp. And there was very short delay. So we were communicating and talking among ourselves as if we were in the same room. So she was explaining the works hung on the wall. And we had an interesting, you know, chit-chat. And it felt weird and surreal, but I also think it was an amazing first step. I'm sure in future, these gallerists will be beamed into different booths if they couldn't come to the fair in person. But as a trial, I thought that this was a very interesting experiment.
2: You've laid out these different strategies that dealers had to attend remotely, And do you think that any of these could be adapted more widely long term if people decide that they want to move away from the sort of frantic pace of travel that they were doing before the pandemic? Which of these different strategies that you witnessed do you think has the most potential?
0: Well, I think the hologram is definitely something very interesting to look into and how it will evolve. I mean, there are certain technical challenges, because you have to be at a place where this high-tech capture studio is located. So that's why only galleries from the three places, Singapore, Geneva, and New York, could participate in this hologram experiment. But then in the long run, if this technology can be you know, further developed and make it more accessible, there could be a chance in future that there will be even more art fairs in the world and you might have a fair you know in the middle of nowhere or cities that had never had art fairs before but thanks to this technology that people could attend you know virtually and could still interact with local visitors so that would be something interesting to maybe look forward to
2: so I want to shift to the second point you made when you were laying out the stakes and that's about the health and longevity of the Hong Kong market in light of all the changes that have happened there over the past year. So first, in terms of the health question, were things selling at the fair, at Art Basel and at Art Central? Was product moving?
0: Oh, the sales have been really great from what I heard. So some galleries have Told me that they have sold out the entire booth and some have sold out, you know, half the booth to some galleries. Sales have been moving pretty well. And that's the same for Art Central and Art Basel. It also depends on the price point. Then, of course, for some sales, the multi-million dollar sale, I think it would take much greater effort. It will be more complicated for those works to find buyers. But then for the lower price point, particularly works by Hong Kong artists, a lot of them have been sold. That's what gallerists told me. And they have found a lot of new buyers, people who either have never bought art before or have never bought with the same gallerist. I think regardless of nationality, people who live in hong kong they have been quite active in terms of buying art on the spot so a lot of galleries and artists they found it very encouraging
2: and who was the audience that was doing the buying was that mostly just by virtue of travel restrictions local hong kong residents
0: mostly yes i haven't heard you know anyone telling me that oh someone came in from abroad just to attend a fair. But since they have all these online setup up with the OVR and they have the Art Basel Live broadcast, for people who cannot travel to Hong Kong, they still have access to the fair. So most of the people who went to the fair, I believe they're all Hong Kong residents. That gives a very interesting vibe and dynamic to the entire art week. It feels very much a Hong Kong event.
2: And it's interesting what you said about the fact that dealers were reporting sales from new clients. I mean, that's sort of the holy grail for an art dealer is to meet someone new and rich who might become a client over the long term. And you've written also an amazing article for us about the ascendant class of young, internationally educated, very wealthy Asian collectors. Were these people on the ground at the fair? And were they some of the people who were driving this frenzy for lower-priced work? This is quite interesting. I heard a lot of celebrity sighting
0: and I'm not 100% sure whether these people would be exactly the group of new young collectors that I described in the article. But I did see a lot of young people in baggy t-shirts and sneakers and young girls in Chanel handbags. And they look like people in their 20s roaming around the fair and Christie's auction preview. I did see a significant number of them.
2: Who are the celebrities?
0: Someone sent to me a picture of Tony Leung, the actor of Wong Kar-wai's In the Mood for Love. There was also the pop singer Joey Young. These people, even though they all had face masks on, people can still recognize them and then they'll be mobbed by fair to take a selfie. So that's quite interesting.
2: And you've written about how this new class of young Asian collectors can basically be broken down into two categories. So what are those categories? So
0: the first groups are the offsprings of seasoned collectors, families that already have a long tradition of art collecting. So previously they may be collecting, you know, Chinese antiquities, fine art, ink paintings and modern masters. And then their offsprings have international experience, educated in the West, and then they return to Asia and then they would be exploring, you know, different new names, new ideas of contemporary art that their parents may not be aware of. That's group one. And then the other group would be the young entrepreneurs who have made a lot of wealth in a very short time, especially amid the crypto craze in recent years.
2: You mentioned that for some of them, it's younger names that are different from maybe what their parents were interested in. Tell me a little bit more about what kind of art they're drawn to.
0: Judging from the recent past few sales, paintings are more figurative. They seem to be more popular. Also, works that are more colorful, humorous, and sometimes, you know, works that don't necessarily have a lot of complicated meanings. Like, everyone knows that, okay, Nara has been doing very well and it's still doing very well. I mean, it's not something that is, you know, overtly complicated. And there are also a number of young emerging, you know, Western artists who have been doing very well in the past sale. I think particularly since like 2019. But then I think this trend really kind of topped in 2020. And I'm sure this will continue. I'm just looking at the evening sale result just now. And there's a good mix of, The modern masters, they already have a substantial following, but then at the same time, there's also younger names like Genevieve Figures and that painting, Evening Portrait, just sold for 1.6 million Hong Kong dollars, like more than that. And um, and then Louis Hollowell, I think that is the Asia auction debut and that has been sold for nearly 4.4 million Hong Kong dollars. How much is that in U.S. dollars? More than 562000 And it's the first time featured in an evening sale in
2: Asia. And for a debut, I mean, half a million dollars is quite a bit of money. In Hong Kong dollars, that's a huge sum. (laughs) Do you feel like these new buyers, do they have the potential to change the art market? And if they do, how will they change it? Is it in terms of the way they buy or what they buy? This is a stronger emergent population of collectors than I think we've seen for quite some time. I think the market really tried to capitalize on, for example, the Silicon Valley startup Millionaires and Billionaires, but that hasn't really hit a critical mass. And so it feels like this is sort of the next big collecting population that the art market has a chance to convert. But I'm curious how they will change the art market in turn.
0: The change has already happened because of what they buy and then setting new prices for many artists. And I think it helped drawing people's attention to artists that may be previously under the radar or people didn't really pay attention to. For example, a couple of Hong Kong artists who have made auction records. Even though Hong Kong has always been a central art market globally, no one ever talked about buying Hong Kong artists in an auction. And this is new. Finally, okay, Hong Kong artists actually have some market value and has auction records. And that is something new. And also because of the wealth and their choice and their different sense of aesthetics, I think it will change the way people look at art. What's aesthetic appealing? This market force might be you know, redefining how people look at a work of art. And also people were starting to buy art with crypto, like this gallery, DeSavre, The owner told me that he sold a work on the last day at Art Basel through crypto payment. And that was the first time. I feel that this is like a beginning of a huge shift towards a whole new world that we still don't know how it's going to be like yet, but it's very exciting.
2: You're talking about almost this sort of artistic and art market renaissance in Hong Kong. But that's coming at the same time that the city is facing this new pressure. You've reported that Beijing last summer passed a new national security law that forbids any kind of state subversion, which is a term that can be broadly applied to essentially outlaw anything that's critical of the Chinese government. And so do you have a sense that anxiety surrounding this law has impacted the market or has impacted local artists who are finally starting to find fame?
0: Well, it definitely has a certain level of impact across the board, whether you're in the art world or not. And it has certainly affected people's confidence in a lot of ways. But then at the end of the day even though as reported already in many news outlets about, you know, people planning to leave Hong Kong, but then a lot of people are still living here and have no desire to leave. They still have to get on with their lives. And I think people are still, you know, finding a way to cope with these changes psychologically and also literally. Okay, some artists, they are not based in Hong Kong, but then there are still a ton of artists who are still living here and has no plan to leave. So I think in terms of the impact on their creativity, I would feel that I would make them even more creative because they need to be creative to find a new language to express themselves. At the same time, I think audiences will also be pushed to become more creative in terms of reading and artwork. It's not about putting up a slogan or saying something, you know, so overtly explicit. That was the things that you already saw in 2019. Now we have entered a different phase and people are digesting and internalizing things that have happened or things that people have experienced. And such collective experience will in turn I think have a huge impact on how they express themselves now and in the years to come there are a lot of things that we cannot say which is true or i would be exceptionally careful with things that i say but then at the same time because you have to find a way to um, work around things so um, people will have to be more creative in terms of how they express themselves
2: at the same time that you're kind of describing this moment of friction creating creative energy. We're also seeing some institutions expand to other Asian capitals. So recently mm. there was the news that Freeze Art Fair is launching in Seoul and you have some new fairs coming up in Taipei and other signs like the New York Times moving its Asian headquarters from Hong Kong to Seoul. So do you see a kind of jockeying for the role of the premier Asian art capital or do you think that there is enough energy to go around? Hong Kong is already
0: very established and because of its proximity and close link with mainland China, and also the Chinese speaking world. This is a huge force. And I'm not surprised to see people trying to venture into different markets around Asia. That is a very healthy thing to do, to look for new opportunities. And obviously Seoul has proved itself to have this huge potential. It has a big creative industry and very well developed. And it has a strong local market. So to create something new to attend to the local audience of South Korea or that part of Northern Asia, I think that totally makes sense. But I think as of now, I'm pretty confident that there are a lot of opportunities available across Asia, and there are still a lot of untapped opportunities.
2: And okay, last question for you. This is where I'm going to make you see into the future. So last year, China overtook the U.S. as the largest art market in the world. And so if you have to put on your prediction hat, what do you think this year has in store for China's art market in general and Hong Kong in particular?
0: There are a couple of fairs happening in June in mainland China. And since a lot of mainland collectors, they did not come to or Hong Kong. It will be very interesting to see how these mainland fairs would turn out. Like, for example, the Jing Art Fair. And I think there will also be a couple of them. But it feels promising, to be honest, judging from the way people react and the amount of resources that people are putting into, you know, to cultivate a market, to build an audience in different parts of mainland China and Hong Kong. So I do think it will remain strong this year, especially when the pandemic is already pretty well contained in mainland China.
2: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Vivian. We're so grateful to have your eyes and ears on the ground over there capturing so much of this change and excitement. Thank you for joining us. No, oh, thank you
0: for having me. I look forward to the next opportunity.
1: That's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Also, make sure to check out Shattering the Glass Ceiling, our exciting podcast miniseries focusing on inspiring women in the art world. The Art Angle is produced by Sonia Magalili, Tim Schneider, and Caroline Goldstein. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.